Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Last week's podcast ended with a cliffhanger. We stopped just as Dominique was about to tell us what she did to transform two of her horses into eager loaders. The wait is now over. We're going to rejoin the conversation with this discussion of trailer loading. Even the environment, you know, sometimes we could say, this is an impossible setup for me to train. I have my horse. There's grass all over the place. I can't do this here. It's awful. No, we start looking at distraction as potential reinforcement. Okay, there's grass all over the place. I'm going to use the grass as reinforcer. So it, it changes like our mindset about everything. You know, everything can be turned into an Easter egg. <laughs> Well, I don't want yes. to sound too, um, but I mean, certainly it's, it's what we, it's our bias, it's certainly our bias, yeah, to, yes. to, to use the Absolutely. environment, to, um, to look at errors as feedback and not, like you say, just put a label on the horse and say it's a stupid horse, it's an impossible training environment, whatever. Which brings us to one of the things that we wanted to talk about, which is trailer mm. loading. So you had a move. I uh, you were you had to move to a new location, and you had two of your horses who were saying, "No, no, 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 we don't want to go on the trailer." That's right. Uh, and so that could have been absolutely one of those. Oh, you know, this is an impossible situation. And you know what? I loved every minute of it. The tr- I was super stressed about that move. For me, moving horses is like my top three most stressful thing in life because I wanted it to go so well. And I knew, especially Pico, because before I adopted Pico, he traveled all over the world and he wanted nothing to do. He wouldn't even line up six feet from the trailer. So I had no idea if I was going to be able to retrain this. Uh, but although I was very stressed and Thus, very motivated. <laughs> uh, so, so, so we can look at this. If we look at this from the, if you were a glass half empty person, you're very stressed. Yeah. It's an impossible situation. My horse won't load. It's going to be horrible. I feel powerless. I feel helpless. You could easily go down that road. Yeah. Or you could take a different path. Yeah, and of course, you know, I didn't just start it two days before the loading day. I started like a month and a half before. And I knew, uh, and you know what was also, well, well, so why I loved it was that, well, this is kind of giving the punch, but in the end, all three of them, they loaded like a dream. I mean, it took less than five minutes to load these three horses. And it was very, for me, it was extremely reinforcing, reinforcing, of course, for all the prep that I put into it, but also because it really deepened my relationship with Pico. It really made me feel like, wow, he's trusting again, you know, that was very touching for me. 
in the end, that's what I was left with was that this horse wanted nothing to do. And it was from the moment I started till the end, there was not one single second of struggle. It was, it was a joy to do this training. Although, you know, I wasn't quite sure I was going to be able to do it. And I did it all alone because we were confined and I couldn't have a helper. But it was joy throughout. And in the end, there was, you know, just this trust that was built between the two of us that I was so grateful for. And, and I'll tell you, just to just interrupt briefly, there's an Easter egg. You had to do it by yourself. Absolutely. So you yeah, that's true. You could do yeah. it by yourself. And I had a deadline, you know, in a way I was kind of mad that I was kind of, you know, I, because I the, the place where I was, she know she she knew who I am, you know, then that I never want to I wanted this to be voluntary loading and I wanted to take the time that was needed, but she, at some point, she put a deadline and she said, that's it, you have to be gone by that time. And so for, for you know, her personal reasons, so that put more pressure on me and I wasn't sure, you know, I, I found the deadline for Picot was, was sooner than I would have liked, you know, but in the end, there was another Easter egg because, of course, you know, I, I did double the training in the last few weeks because I knew the deadline was coming. So, again, an Easter egg, you know, what seemed like something I yes. didn't like too much. Yes. But. So, and there was something else because yeah. we talked, at, I was at the very beginning of the process, we had a, a quick chat at the end of a podcast. And at that point, I think I was in my first 10 days or first two weeks, maybe. Of course, Woody was already on the trailer. He was loading, you know, he, he, he was a little champ. It, it was very, very quick with him. But I've had Woody for now, what, seven, eight years at least. Whereas Pico and Bonanza, I adopted them two two years ago, maybe three. I, I lose track, but not more than that. So, and I remember in that podcast, I was telling you that with Bonanza, we were half in. And that I felt I was about to hit a plateau and that I probably needed to start working more away from the trailer on some of the components while the next day he was in. So <laughs> it's interesting. That for me too was interesting because sometimes you feel like, oh my God, this is going nowhere. You know, I'm going to hit a plateau. I don't want to hit a plateau. And poof, the next day, breakthrough. When the Easter egg is ready to hatch, it just cracks But it's just the- to say, progress is not this linear, pre- predictable thing. Sometimes, you know, there's, no. you think that, oh, no, this isn't right. And oop, there you go. You, you get your result. So for somebody who, who is uh, at the early beginning stages of trailer mm-hmm. loading, what are some of the Easter egg discoveries that you made that might help it's that whole pay it forward yeah. thing that might help the next person have success. Well, first of all, I was very, you know, for me, it was clear that I wanted this to be uh, no threat, no intimidation. This was going to be voluntary trailer loading. And my thought was if at the end of the period, I'm not there with Pico, 
and we have to go on, I'm not going to be the one doing it. I will ask for someone I know who's a gentle, uh, traditional trainer to help me uh, or, or to, to load actually the horse. Right, but right. I, myself, I don't do anything but voluntary behaviors in general. And trainer loading was just going to be another one of those things. So I was ex- very clear in my mind that I was going to do voluntary trailer loading. The other thing, again, and maybe another Easter egg, my idea in the beginning was that I wanted to train this at liberty in the arena. I wanted the horse to be free, but the owners wouldn't allow it. So I had to have the lead on uh, throughout the whole process of training. And still, it was almost the same, I would say, as if we had been free. Uh, because whenever, you know, especially Pico would ask me to say, this is too much, I would not insist. We would back up. We would go around and do something else around the trailer. I had little games around the trailer. I had mats on the ground. I had um, I had made a little shoot just to practice going in tighter spaces with um, panels like a, a mobile corral panels. Um, so I had all these little games and sometimes he really asked me, like he would, he would put pressure on the lead to say, I don't want to go in. As soon as he asked me this, I would say, okay, we'll, I would maybe ask him for something, um, because I didn't want to have a chain of, you know, you ask to, uh, to go out, but it didn't happen. That never happened. I never was at a point where it was a chain where he would ask to back up and we would back up, go around the trailer, and that would be on a repeat, it would never happen. Because, of course, if he asked me to back up, I would also take note of when he had asked to back up, why he had asked, why was it too much? And, you know, I tried not to be a greedy trainer, but because of the deadline, sometimes I wanted to progress. And, and, you know, there might be one or two times where I was slightly greedy. The horse told me, I took note, I backed up, I asked for a little less, and then we could progress again from there. Um, but certainly, um, I... We played lots of games. Inside the trailer, we played games. I mean, the targeting, we did a lot of targeting inside. It was a relief, too. And it was also experiencing the trailer as something else, some a place where it can be fun. You know, there's... Um, you know, sometimes when, let's say, you want to go in front of a group and do public speaking, but you're a terrified person, you you you're, you don't like public speaking, and and people just say, oh, you have to uh, just change, you know, your your way of thinking about it in your head, and then it'll be fine, you know. Just don't worry, you're good, you're prepared. Go go go, and and you're you're having a bad experience again. It doesn't matter, you know, that you've try to psych yourself up, if the actual experience is bad, it won't change your idea about public speaking. But if you set it up in a way that you can have positive speaking experiences, maybe in front of smaller groups or whatever, you know, wherever you're at, well, that will change your idea of public speaking because you actually had the experience that it can be enjoyable. 
And so for me, I wanted the trailer to be a place where we can do, where the horse can experience that it's not just a place where you experience bad things, you know, so we can do targeting. I, I, we did a lot of treat tossing in a little bowl. Um, because I, they love that, of course. We've, we we use that a lot. When I do my liberty training, I have all kinds of game where I, I say toss, and that means I'm going to toss in the um, in, in the, the, the football. And so with Pico, the food, the tossing started way before the ramp. I actually put a little um, uh, platform, like where he had to step up on the platform six feet from the trailer. That's how we started with Pico because he, in the beginning, he would allow me, he would be okay being perpendicular to the ramp of the trailer, but to be in line to go up, he would only allow it six feet from the ramp. So, okay, that's where we start. So I put a little uh, platform there and we would step up the platform and play games on the platform six feet from the ramp and then get down the platform because I put a lot of time to not just teach them to walk up the ramp, but also it was really important for me to teach them to unload in a very calm way, step by step, no rushing to unload. So it was as much... Uh, reinforcement for unloading than for loading. So we would use this platform six feet away from the ramp. We would step up and then we would step down. I would toss street. We would do targeting. And slowly I pushed the little uh, platform closer and closer and closer to the ramp. I can tell you the day he put his one foot on the ramp. Wow, that was... (laughs) joy. I mean, you know how when training goes the way you want, it can be so exhilarating. I was so happy for so many hours after that. My God, Pico put one foot on the ramp. It was like, it was a miracle for me that he would allow me to lead him into, onto the ramp like this. And we did also, uh, one of the things I did too is back, use backing up as reinforcement for going forward. I use that constantly. You make a step forward and I will reinforce you with a step backward. And then we might be, we might do a little bit of touch targeting and click and treat. So we did that. Like I said, we also, if, if we would go up, we would stay inside because I wanted to have some duration inside, play some games. But sometimes in the beginning, we would, we would go just a few steps, even though I knew on the ramp, even though I knew they could go farther. And we would just get go back and go around the trailer. So it's a bit the, like the same idea of doing ping pong whenever you're raising your criteria. You don't always make it more difficult. Sometimes you make it, you know, a little bit easier. Uh, what else did I do? Um, trying to think of other things that we did. Um, Probably the biggest thing that you did is you gave yourself time. Oh, yeah. So that you could celebrate. Today he put a foot on the ramp instead of, but I need to get him on the trailer and to fly tomorrow and I can only get one foot on the ramp. Stress, stress, stress. Yeah, they, I mean, there were lots of Easter eggs. I mean, even, you know, when they, when they first put, because you, you know how they will go on the ramp, but 
they won't go inside. I mean, they can stretch themselves yes. like they're caterpillars. Um, but, you know, when they first put feet in inside is a big thing. When they are halfway in is a big thing. When they put that fourth feet inside is a big thing. And all this, of course, I was always, always, always looking for a relaxed horse. Because, you know, and I never had to pull. You know, it was always with a loose leash. No pressure ever, ever, ever. Well, the trailer's pressure, obviously. So there was some negative reinforcement going on. When I'm backing up and when I'm going around the trailer, I mean, that's negative reinforcement at play. You know, I'm using it to reinforce the horse for, for going in and I'm taking the pressure away because he's done something I like. So definitely I know the trailer is, is negative reinforcement, but other than the trailer itself, they were always in, in you know, they decided the rhythm. I mean, at the end, I didn't know what to do with Woody anymore because he would load on the right side of the trailer, on the left side of the trailer. He he wanted to go on the trailer. It was like, Woody was like, you know, those horses who don't want to quit because they're having a ball. And, you know, he would, the only time he would pull was when I was saying, okay, that's it for you. And he would say, well, I'd, I'd go again a few times. So, uh, you know, one thing too that I wonder I think may have made a difference. Not everyone will be able to do this, but I had, so I had borrowed this little trailer from a friend and because I couldn't put it in the, in the arena, I put it right next to their paddock because that was most practical. It was the wind, it was kind of spring. So there was still like mud and snow and, but still I put it right next to their paddock. So when I was working with one of the three, the other two, could watch. could watch. And I, I think that's good. Yes. I think that's a good thing. And I wondered in the beginning, you know, I thought, oh, they're going to think, oh, no, we're doing trailer exercises. We're not coming up to the to the fence, you know. To <laughs> On the contrary, it was just as usual. I had to, um, you know, I've actually become pretty good at getting the horses and, and having calm behaviors at the fence. We talked about this in, a, in one of our previous podcasts, how to manage the horses uh, so that you can go inside a paddock and, and it's very calm and there's no threat between the horses to be the first or the chosen one. Actually, I think we talked about it on the Listen and Learn course. No, because I, I remember we had Cindy on that podcast. Ah, okay. Well, we may have done it in both. Anyway, um, yeah, so um, so they watched, so they could watch, and they were, and actually, as the weeks went by, when I would start to open the trailer, I would hear Bonanza make this <laughs> little nose, you know? The, his, yeah, because <laughs> it was that. like... Ooh, she's she's here. We're about to train trailer loading, and you know they were obviously enjoying it. Especially the more the more they could see that there will be no forcing you into this thing, they were really enjoying it. The other thing I did too was that in the end I wanted them. It was this was a small trailer. It was a two place trailer, but I wanted them to um, travel together, the three of them, and I wanted them to travel uh, in a box confirmation, uh, you know, instead of in a stall. When when I was with Cavalia, uh, we would have the horses travel in a box uh, confirmation as much as we could because they were much fresher 
uh, when they would arrive at their destination. And I've come to love this way of traveling for horses. And although this was a very short ride, it was like a 20-minute ride, I still wanted them to be together in this in a, in a box. So this means that instead of being tied in a stall where their head is tied on both sides, they are free. Uh, they're in a box. Uh, so it's like maybe, I don't know, eight by eight. So it's a big trailer. This, this was Cavalia's trailer. So I used that, but this trailer was too big to come up to the barn. So they had to go down a little road that they didn't know. And I practiced that too, because I thought, okay, now they're super good at loading. But if they get all nervous about where are we, this road, we don't know this road. Uh, So I practiced going on the road uh, all the way down to where the trailer was going to be parked. And sure enough, I can tell you the first couple of sessions, they were nervous on that road because they didn't know that road. And so I was, you know, I was pretty good at doing the the prep uh, and I was very rewarded for it too. So how does it make you feel? So you you did the trailer loading. It went magnificently. And we talked briefly not long after that experience and I remember how eloquently you talked about how it made you feel. Well, like I said, for me, this was a joyful process. And, you know, there was not a moment where I felt frustrated or on the contrary, you know. And the other thing is that, because trailer loading, we all know that it can be a big challenge. And I've seen, you know, experienced trainers and experienced horses that were really struggling with this. You know, once a horse has decided that they don't like it. And so here I was with a horse that had years and years of, you know, not so good associations, obviously, because, you know, maybe sometimes it went well, but when you have a show, a a um, plane waiting for you, you have 60 horses to load. I know some of those trainers, they just don't have the luxury of doing what I did, you know, and the horse has to go up because, you know, the plane won't be waiting Um, and you have 60 horses to load. So it'll, you know, we'll do what we have to do. And so I'm sure, you know, although I didn't witness it, but from Pico's attitude, I could see that he had been forced on trailers before. And and even if it doesn't look yeah. horrible, what the people are doing, when you're you're being handled by a very skilled trainer who knows how to say to a horse, I'm not taking any nonsense yeah. from you. You're going to go where yeah. I tell you to go, and I don't want any arguments. In the same way that there are people who would say that to a teenager, and the teenager recognizes, okay, this is a person mm-hmm. I don't argue with. This isn't mom who I've got wrapped around my little finger, as it were. And they do. They have me wrapped around their finger. I can right. tell you that. Right. So there are there are times where, you know, he might be saying, I really hate this. I really hate this. But I have That's no right. degrees of freedom. Yeah. I have no choice. Yeah. I have to go on the trailer. And now all of a sudden, you've given him an environment in which he can say, you know, all those years where I had to get on the trailer, I don't want to get on the yeah. trailer anymore. 
because when I get on the trailer, my whole world flips upside down and disappears, and I don't know where I'm going, and I'm leaving what, I, what is familiar to me, and I just want to be a homebody, and I have to get on a trailer again, or what, whatever the reason is, whatever the reason is. He was saying no. He was. And even though we had, because when you're saying, you know, I don't know where I'm going, that was still true, you know. And as a matter of fact, although everything went so well, one thing I did notice from Pico was that, and, you know, we're just, it, it hasn't been that long that we're in the new place, that normally he would be okay being alone in a paddock. But for the first few weeks, he wanted to know where his pals were. He, he, I wouldn't leave him alone in the paddock, not in this new place. Bonanza was no. like, no problem. You can leave me alone. I know they're around. But Pico, no, he wanted to know where Woody and Bonanza were all the time. Otherwise, he would get nervous. So even though it went really smoothly, it was a very short trip, nothing happened, you know, it was still obviously a stressful experience for him because normally he wouldn't be stressed about being left alone for a few minutes, I mean, uh, in a paddock. But right yes. now we're still, I'm still sensitive about that, you know, that he needs to know this is it, we're staying here. One of the things uh, I forgot to mention before is um, because I can imagine if you're trained, if you're a tra trainer, maybe even a clicker trainer, I think if you do too long sessions, that is that is counterproductive. My sessions were never, ever more than 20 minutes. And most of the time, and in the beginning, they were much shorter than that. Because, you know, if all you do is go on a ramp and put one foot, um, I mean, there's a limit to the time you can do this. So, but I would always do like 15 minutes, 20 at the very most at the end, because... Um, I wanted more duration inside, but I kept it short because I think too long adds to the stress. It's good to have a relief. It's a, if it's a, if it's something that is challenging, I think it's better to keep it not too long. So that was another thing. But so back to your question about how it made me feel, I'll tell you something. I felt clicker training was really powerful and I, I felt like, wow, I have this tool. You know, I'm, I'm pretty new to horses. I mean, I've been what now? But because before, when, when I did the show, I was, you know, I was a business person. I was a marketing person. So for, you know, when we, we were touring, I was, I was selling the show. I was developing the company, all that. But I, and I, you know, of course, I was looking at the tra trainers, but, I really started working with horses myself, maybe, uh, what now, 15, 15 years ago? So that's pretty recent, you yeah. know? And initially, there was always this, you know, support group around. Absolutely. Of very skilled trainers. So trainers and grooms. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was surrounded by so many people that whatever was too challenging, in a way, I was lucky because it didn't harm my relationship with my horses because whatever I, when I didn't have the skill to do something, 
I would ask someone else to do it. Or if it was injection time, I would ask someone else to do it. So it, it, it preserved my relationship. You know, I was allowed to build my relationship with Woody, for instance, as my skill grew um, without ever asking him for things I was not ready to ask. But certainly trailer loading with a horse that it was, so, I mean, a new horse, if you're going to teach a new horse to trailer load, I think it can be pretty, you know, pretty, pretty simple. But if you're going to load a reluctant, experienced horse, that's a challenge. And I'm proud. I'm proud of what clicker training allowed me to do with the horses because it went beautifully. And it was a joy throughout, which is pretty amazing, I think. And it, it not only was it a joy for me, but it built my relationship with the horses, too. Yeah. I can just picture that, the Easter egg, that, as you're describing it, that represents that. It's a very large Easter egg, and, and I can see all these wonderful, bright colors. There's lots of purple in it, because that goes with, you know, it's, it seems very appropriate. And I, you know, it says so, so very much because all of us have, well, you know, it's most of us have something with our horses that feels like a challenge that we kind of dance around, skirt around, yeah. avoid. There's that avoidance thing again. Absolutely. <laughs> if I hadn't had that deadline, trailer loading was not on my list of fun yeah. things to teach. Right. Right. Let me avoid that. Let, like the plague. And and yet when you do take it on as a project and you don't have the deadline of I have to get it done tomorrow, but you take some of these things on as a project, whether it's trailer loading or a better foot care for your horse with the farrier or injections or, you know, whatever it is that you do discover the joy of training. You discover how empowering it is to be able to solve these puzzles. I don't want to say by yourself because you're not by yourself. You're with your horse. So as a team with your horse. And pride is a really good word that you can feel really proud about your accomplishment. So the, the takeaway message for people is go forth and train. You know, t tackle those things that feel difficult, but don't run at the mountain head on and feel as though you have to scale it all in one leap and all in one day. That you you begin with tiny little approximations. Absolutely. You begin with what is possible, where it's possible, and bit by bit, increment by increment, your repertoire builds. The relationship builds, what is possible builds, and at the end of the day, you have a horse who will happily, joyfully cooperate, more than cooperate, engage in, with great delight, the activity that you've been working on. And that's, that's so worth doing. But I'll tell you when, during the whole process, I felt that I was using everything I have learned in the past 10 years. You know, all these little decisions that you make all the time throughout, 
that's based on knowledge. Yes. You know, that's what we were talking about at the beginning of this uh, conversation was that when you start understanding the science, when you start understanding the principles, you can really, really use it and adjust your training second by second, you know, based on all that knowledge. Because for me, it wasn't based, you know, I haven't been loading horses forever. I, this was really my first time I loaded the horses on my own. Because the, the times they moved before, I had experienced a uh, trainer load them for me. So this was my first time. So I have zero experience in trailer loading. But now I have like 12, 15 years of, you know, studying applied behavior analysis, and I used every principle I have learned that I have refined, and I will still, I know, learn more in the next, because this is this will never end, but I could feel that I was starting to master certain things and that it made a big difference in how I was training. And so as you take these Easter eggs that the horses have helped you to find and develop and appreciate to the rest of your life and the perspective that of looking at what is going on right now uh, with all of us, the impact of the coronavirus and what it is doing to all of our lives. Are you finding that those Easter eggs are that you're carrying them with you and that they are of even more value. I would think that feeling of being empowered, of knowing that, yes, this may be a difficult situation that we're in, but I have a way of approaching it. Well, I, I think training that, keeps you humble. <laughs> um, you, you know, you go, you have these sessions where you're, super proud. You feel like, wow, you know, I really accomplished something and I used all my knowledge. And then you have another session later and you think, oh, I have so much to learn. <laughs> so yes, I think yes, it's kind yes. of both, you know, I, I, I have feel very empowered during that process. And, you know, in a way the confinement was a godsend for me because there was nothing else to do. So, and if I, I would have trained exactly the same, except I would have had to say to people no to many invitations and say, no, I'm training my horses. I'm preparing for this uh, move. That's my priority. But I didn't have to say anything to anyone. It was my priority. And, you know, I could be very graceful about it because there was nothing else that I was allowed to do anyway. Right. So, and, and it filled, right. it filled the confinement time because I was on a, on a mission, you know, I had a purpose. So I didn't feel like my life was just on pause. On the contrary, I was super focused on this. And thank God I could go and see the horses because that would have been really difficult to have to move them after not seeing them for a month. I can't just imagine it. I think I would have fought for a different deadline. But you had a, you had a purpose. And I Very think that's much. important. So that's a, that's another Easter egg of, you know, can we find the purpose? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that's, so as we're looking for those Easter eggs, you know, what is, what is our purpose? 
what is the project that we want to really focus in on and that what the trailer loading experience shows you is how to go about taking something that can at first feel really difficult and daunting and yeah. impossible and that actually with enough component pieces you can make it something that you can take on and be very successful with and I think that's and enjoy and enjoy doing yeah. and enjoy yes yeah. and enjoy and, I, and that's that's a huge huge learning you know we learn it from the horses and then we can see it unfolding in other parts of our lives that we are not hopeless and no and you know when I looked at Pico too I, I couldn't help myself but think you know if a horse who's gone through um, you know some of the things he may have gone through can trust again so can we yeah that's yes. a little on, on the side yes. but more, um, yeah, um, take home too. There's a French um, writer and philosopher, Albert Camus. You you know him, Camus? No. No. Um, but he has this, he wrote this sentence, which I find, um, I've always find, found very helpful in difficult times. And for me, it's a very truth truthful, very um, relevant. He said, it's a, uh, of course, it's not an exact translation because it was written in French, but he says, in the middle of winter, I found that there is inside of me an invincible summer or an eternal summer. Wow. Yeah, oh, and for that. me, it's, I think that's a way of living. You know that no matter what, Yes. happens, you know, people you love die, um, you know, you things that you wanted are no longer possible or whatever, you get sick or you're divorced or you lose a horse. But in the middle of winter, you know that inside of you, there is summer. If you, if you can go there and find it, summer is there inside of you. So it's a different way of talking about the Easter egg, but I think it's part of, you know, our quest as human to discover this, the summer inside of us. And certainly yes. clicker training is very com compatible with that quest, is even helpful, I think, to find this serenity. You know, when, when, you, yes. when your way of life is not about conflict, Uh, but of, about finding the Easter egg or finding, you know, the thing you can reinforce, I think it helps to, to live in serenity. Yes. Well, I think that is a beautiful way to end this conversation. So say it again. Say that line again. The Camus, the Camus so one in the, in the middle. Well, it's, yes. uh, let's yes. say it's not perfect translation, but in the, in the right. middle right. of winter, and it's actually like a, a poem. There's all, all these other things before. Uh, this is the conclusion, but it's worth looking up. If you look at Camus, C-A-M-U-S, and you write in the middle of winter, I'm sure something will come up in English. So in the middle yes. of winter, I found that there is inside of me an invincible summer. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yes, I love that. So that is, that is the line 
with which we will end. Thank you. So I'll talk to you next week. I'm reluctant to break the spell of that beautiful line by adding anything more to the end of this podcast. But I do want to share a coronavirus Easter egg that I found this past weekend. Thank you, Susan Friedman, for that metaphor. Because of the coronavirus, I've had to cancel all of my spring clinics. But along with all of the participants, I've been reluctant to just let go of the opportunity to get together. So I've had several Zoom meetings with a couple of the clinic groups. And I spent this past weekend in North Carolina, not literally, but via the internet. Rebecca Schultz was going to be our host for this clinic, and we'd been in discussion about what we wanted to do. We knew we couldn't actually hold it, but we weren't really ready to completely let go of it. So we talked about having a virtual clinic. We weren't quite sure how that was going to work out, but we thought it was worth giving it a try. So Rebecca helped me organize it. We kept the group size small because this was an experiment. I've done lots of webinars before, but I've never done an actual clinic, and I wasn't sure really how it would work because a clinic is so much about working with the horses as well as having discussions. Well, all I can say is, wow. I mean, really, I've just been so delighted about how absolutely wonderfully well it went. It worked. So thank you to everyone who participated and who helped make that such a great, great weekend. It really was like a clinic in so many respects. And we had two good indicators that to me told me that the format was working. The first one was that time sort of dropped away and all of our sessions ran over the estimated time frame because there were so many questions, so many videos to look at, so much to really explore and enjoy together. And at the end of the weekend, none of us wanted to sign out of the meeting. We didn't want to go home. So I'm certainly going to do more of these virtual clinics, even if we didn't have the virus to worry, worry about and things could go back to normal again tomorrow, I would do more of these clinics. I loved the format. I loved what we could do with video and, and it truly did eliminate the challenge of geography. As several people commented, you know, I could never have gotten my horse to a clinic, but you got, I got to have you give me feedback on what I was doing with my horse. It was really fun, really fun. So I'm going to schedule more of these virtual clinics. Uh, as I get them on the calendar, I'll put them up in the events section of my website, theclickercenter.com, and I'll also announce them here at the end of the podcast. If you'd like to be notified directly, so you don't miss any of these clinics, if you'd like to be notified directly, 
when I have the dates, just email me privately at curlandA at verizon.net. Again, that's curlandA at verizon.net. These clinics are just another proof of what Dominique was saying, that in the middle of winter, there is inside all of us an invincible summer. Thank you for listening.